Hey everyone, and welcome to episode eight of Authors on a Podcast Talking Books. I'm your host, David Walters. Today I'm delighted to have fantasy author Evan Winter on the podcast. Uh, born in England to South American parents, Evan was raised in Africa near the historical territory of his Kosa ancestors. He always wanted to be a writer, but went to university first, attended bars in two countries, became a director and cinematographer whose work has been viewed more than 500 million times online, met a couple of common in the process, was threatened by UK mobsters in a case of mistaken identity, worked with wonderful A-list celebrities, unbelievably talented unknowns, and became the creative director for one of the world's largest infrastructure companies, all before realizing that the words in his head would never write themselves. So before he runs out of time, he started writing them. More to the point, he grew up reading fantasy, loving fantasy, and believing that it's our stories that make us who we are. He remembers being 14 and sitting on his bed for countless hours in the summer, reading Robert Jordan with Sarah McLaughlin's music playing in the background. He remembers being transported to brilliant worlds of magic, heroism, conflict, and wonder. He remembers the lessons learned when he grew up alongside Rand, contemplated life with Drizzt, fought against hard odds with Druss, rejected a destined life like Sparhawk, and decided that even if doing the right thing ends up badly, Ned was a good man who should be emulated. Evan remembers thinking that though he has but one life to live by reading and writing, he could experience a thousand more. And on top of all that, you guys, as of yesterday, he is the winner of the 2019 Stabby Award for Reddit's R Fantasy for the best debut novel for the Rage of Dragons. You know, on top of making several fantasy blogs top reads of 2019 list and so on. But without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Evan Winter. Thank you very much for such a wonderful intro. Thank you, thank you. And uh, I'm so glad that you brought up um, this, the Our Fantasy Stabby, because that's the, sort of the newest thing that's happened to me. And I could not be happier and could not tell you how amazing it feels to um, have that community there uh, recognize the book. Because if not for that community, I probably would not have written the book at all. So thank you. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. And thank you so much for coming on. I know uh, it's been not quite a long time coming, but I guess a little little time coming. I mean, obviously the podcast wasn't really even a thing until Thanksgiving, but uh, I've been wanting to chat with you more and more since Reading Rage last year. Um, but tell me a little bit about uh, about Reddit Fantasy. Uh, I don't know a whole lot about it. Um, I kind of was brought up on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram when it comes to books and blogging and taking pictures of books and looking all cool. Um, but Reddit is kind of a thing that it kind of looks scary to me. You don't really know how the boards work. And I've, I think I've created a username just to vote for the stabby, which AKA I, I, I voted for you. Um, and uh, oh, thank you very much. <laughs> absolutely. Um, but it's one of those things where I just kind of glance over it and I go, oh, there's a bunch of people that like to talk about fantasy on there. Well, I can do that on Twitter, too, because I know how to use it. But tell me a little bit about Reddit and I guess how you kind of found it and how you got your start there. Definitely. Uh, I'm going to actually just quickly start off by saying uh, you said you just started the podcast and roughly around Thanksgiving. Congratulations yeah. on starting the podcast. And I saw the list of authors that you've lined up. They're incredible. So first of all, thank you very much for having me on. <laughs> absolutely. Amongst that list of incredible authors. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and jumping back to um, Reddit's Our Fantasy subreddit, um, I've been there lurking for probably about 10, 12 years. And when I say lurking, I really do mean it. I didn't post or comment or do anything. I just sort of took in the content that other people were putting up. Uh, I, I can't be sure, but I think when I started going there, it might have had 30, 40,000 people. 
And the subreddit has grown to over 750,000 readers and fans of the fantasy genre. I think it is likely the um, largest place online where you can go to have conversations about fantasy uh, in the world. Um, So I feel very, very fortunate to have sort of kind of grown up in in my in my second sort of second dive in love of fantasy with that subreddit and uh and like i say if it wasn't for them i would have i would not have been able to i would not have learned or been exposed to so much of the information about the new shop the new group of uh fantasy writers i sort of brandon sanderson came to my attention from our fantasy uh and i think um i read elantris first and then went moved on to Mistborn. And uh, I actually loved Elantris, by the way. I know that some people are, I think, you know, Brandon Sanderson says all the time, that he goes, oh, you know, Elantris, uh, I wish I could have done more with it if I knew what I know now, but I thoroughly enjoyed Elantris. I thought that was excellent. Um, so, yeah, so a lot, I was introduced to, to Brandon Sanderson, and I was introduced to uh, Patrick Rothfuss, and um, introduced to Red Rising and uh, um, Chris Brown through our fantasy. And I know these are big trad names, traditional published names, but I just, I'd fallen out of reading for a while and that subreddit brought me back into it. And that's why I say, if if not for that sort of that community, I don't think I would have ever started writing. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, because like I said, I mean, I, when I kind of first started breaking into reading, I mean, you know, post high school, post college, all that stuff, Facebook was kind of like my go-to because I could read a book and be like, I really like this book. And I could befriend the author and then like I'd send them a message and maybe they'd be cool and send me one back. And then I thought it was like really neat because I was like, oh, I know the author now. Um, but now it's kind of gotten to the point where like I'll follow somebody on Twitter. I'll read the book. I'll post a review. If I get a follow back, cool. Next thing you know, they're on the podcast. <laughs> yes, so, but uh, but yeah, uh, man, 750,000 people. That is insane. I mean, because we sit there on Twitter and see all these people going – people don't know about booktube and i'm like there's a giant mass of people on this one subreddit that all talk about fantasy and yet here's our little community of maybe a couple hundred people on twitter that talk about books um that that's insane yeah i guess uh, i guess david you and i need to uh need to i guess invest in that <laughs> yeah, i'm on reddit once in a while I gotcha. I gotcha. And guys, uh, I haven't introduced him yet, but uh, I have my co-blogger David Schaefer on here. Uh, he goes by Book Meanderings on on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, but he's kind of one of my newer reviewers on the blog. He's been with me for a few months. He's been a fantastic addition. Um, but I'll, I'll introduce him again, probably here in a few minutes. But in case uh, he talks a little bit, that's who that is. Um, but uh, but yeah, so, so Evan, so. Uh, Kind of going back to uh, kind of a little intro, but uh, you doing all right today? Do you, you have a good day? Having a good twenty twenty so far? Yeah, no, it's um, it's been a great sort of uh, new year so far. Uh, again, like with the news that came out yesterday about sort of uh, being an award recipient for a stabby, uh, uh, I posted on Twitter. So I, I'm on Twitter too, and I'm actually really enjoying it. I'm really enjoying the social media on Twitter. So uh, you know, I, I have love for Reddit and Twitter, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but. I posted on, on Twitter yesterday about sort of uh, finding out about that award. And I said, it's sort of, this is like the Oscars for me. And it really does feel that way because I've been on that sort of subreddit for so long. Um, so the year has started up amazingly. And um, even with last year and the closing of last year, uh, 
Orbit, uh, who is my publisher, and has, has I, I can't say enough good things about my experience with them so far, and it sort of going into the series, uh, having it get picked up by them, and then sort of reworking book one, and now finishing up book two. We're almost done, and we're just putting the final touches so it can come out this summer. Uh, so it's been a whirlwind experience, but also a very, very um, amazing experience for me. So I, I feel grateful. Yeah, you know, you, you talk about Orbit uh, and your relationship with them. You know, I have heard nothing but phenomenal things about them. I mean, David and I see it from a different standpoint. I mean, we see it from a mm-hmm. kind of a publicity marketing standpoint. We don't really see it from the author standpoint, obviously. But, I mean, every single author I've spoken to has just been like, oh, my gosh, it's so great. They're so awesome. And, mm-hmm. you know, and then we talk to the publicist, and they're some of the nicest people on the planet. And you're kind of like, oh. some of my faith in humanity is restored kind of thing. But <laughs> I mean, I, I've never worked with a better publisher as far as, you know, getting books or marketing books, like with social media or getting reviews into and always getting a response back. I mean, and they're super helpful when it comes to, you know, recommendations. And I mean, they're always either on Twitter or email, you know, getting back with you and, you know, uh, pushing your post, you know, whether it's retweets or, you know, uh, you know, doing something with a, with a comment, etc. But I mean, they're just absolutely phenomenal. And they have been publishing and pushing some of the best fantasy and science fiction books for the past few years. And I don't see it going anywhere. That's, you know, that's absolutely wonderful to hear, especially because I don't have the experience. I haven't been with many other publishers but I've worked with lots of different people. Um, I was a music video director before doing this, and I've worked in a corporate environment as well. Um, it's hard to find a good group of people. And so far, you know, sort of about a year and in change into the relationship, I'm amazed that at the people at Orbit that I've had a chance to meet and work with because they feel almost more like fans of the genre as opposed to industry professionals, not because they don't have the industry professional part down, they clearly, clearly do when you see the types of books they put out. Um, but because the way they interact with me is as if they're like, they're just as passionate as any reader. And, you know, I feel, again, very lucky to be in an environment where that's the case with the people. I don't know how they hire or what they do to, to sort of get people into that organization, but I'm impressed, extremely impressed. Yeah, I feel like their, you know, uh, their interview process is like, all right, are you a book lover? All right, tell me, tell us how much you love books, <laughs> because because uh, I feel like um, like uh, like you're acquiring editor Brit. I feel like she's kind of one of those that gushes over books. Um, I mean, yeah. based on, based on her her tweets and so forth that I see, and uh, I mean, she's always there to to retweet, you know, her her authors and even even others. I mean, I, I see her all over the place just promoting, promoting, promoting. And it kind of feels like they're book bloggers. Like it just, it feels like they're trying to make sure everybody knows that they love the book as much as the next person. And that you're going to love the book as much as they do and so forth. And I, I think that's just phenomenal. Yeah, no, I a hundred percent agree with you. And it's not something I expected. I expected it to be more like, you know, more business business. And although everyone's very busy and I can tell that, they don't feel like business when they're dealing with you. They feel like they're dealing with you as a person first. And that's a really nice thing. You know what I mean, and yeah, it's just, it's a, it's not what I would have expected. I'm going to, to be frank and honest, they're not the way as a traditional publisher based out of New York, they're not what I would have expected. And I'm very, very happy with the experience. 
been, it's been a while. Yeah. And I, I really like your characterization of characterization of them as fans of the genre because <laughs> from the quality of the last few years of what they've been putting out, you can um, even just last year. Um, I know that David David W as well is a big fan of the Wounded Kingdom series, and that wasn't last year, but R.J. Barker is now one of my favorite uh, authors, and along with the Rage of Dragons already, and I don't, I don't even think that I've gotten even too much more into them, but I just started Spellslinger as well, which yep. Sebastian de Castell is a little, you know, more established than some of their other newer authors, um, but it's still like the consistent quality of Orbit is something I haven't seen and I mean, even even tour, to be honest, like they are they're rocking it right now. Yeah, I mean, and the funny thing is, when I went there for the first time and went to these sort of the orbit offices, I was walking through kind of like they have this room with all of their all of their sort of books. And I was looking at the books and, you know, you kind of you should know your publisher catalog. And I did. But it's a different feeling when you're standing in a room of like basically like a mini library filled with books. And every single one I'm looking at, I'm like. I've either read that and loved it, or I want to read that. Yes. And, yes. You know what I mean? and then they started to be like, oh, if you want a book, you can take a book. And I'm like, you don't want to tell me that, because this is not going to be a good <laughs> thing when I start picking up all your books. But, yeah, like, I, I feel, yeah, it's it's an amazing place to be. And, of course, we all know, you know, publishers like Tor. Like, I grew up reading The Wheel of Time and stuff as well. And, and that's yeah. what Tor symbols is a big deal. Um, but, uh, you know, as I sit here watching The Witcher, and, and enjoying the expanse's brand new season on Amazon, and you know, it, like it's it feels real, real, real good to to be an author right now writing with Orbit. It, it really does. Yeah, because next thing you know, we're gonna see Rage of Dragons in, in the motion pictures. <laughs> <laughs> according to according to Kindle.com, that's what I saw today. <laughs> Wouldn't that be absolutely awesome? Yeah, yes, I would be. I would be on board for that. <laughs> Cool. Well, um, since we're talking about kind of beginnings and stuff like that, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and, you know, growing up, maybe some hobbies or what, what you like to do growing up, where you grew up and things like that? Yeah. So I grew up in Zambia, which is in Central Africa. And I, basically, the equator pretty much runs through the country, basically. Um, and so the weather, it's hot. Uh, it has a rainy season, but it's generally pretty hot and very comfortable. And I would spend almost all my time outside hanging out and playing and so yeah i had a you know and so i had a great childhood i loved growing up in zambia it felt like this kind of almost like little utopia as a child because it was all about imagination and adventure and the, the place was super safe and you were always outside kind of doing your thing even to the point where um because uh, zambia couldn't really pay probably the broadcast fees or whatever have you to get a lot of western shows or shows from other areas TV was only on from 5 p.m. to about midnight. And there's only about an hour of time where there were sort of shows that were appropriate for kids. So I'd spend that time watching, you know, whatever show would be on. But all the rest of the time, I was playing with my G.I. Joes or He-Man or something or outside. So it was a really fun and imaginative way to grow up. And, and you know, as I say that, I'm also thinking about my son now who has a very different sort of childhood because I'm in Canada and it's cold most of the time. And we're, I feel like we're inside way. He's inside way more than I was when I was growing up. But at the same time, he reads so, so, so much. He reads way more than I ever did growing up. And it's, it's so amazing to watch him just guzzle up stories in the way that he does. And, uh, you know, and so although it's a very different upbringing and I'm very happy for mine, 
I keep looking at him and going, well, this is kind of cool too. So I sort of strayed from the question there a bit, but I was just thinking about my own son and how he kind of is moving through the world. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it would be for you at least uh, quite the transition to go from all that it's heat, heat, heat. And then Canada, I mean, it's, I feel like it's nine months out of the year. It's pretty cold up there because it's uh, yes, yes, north of <laughs> I mean, I'm not too far from Canada. I'm in Pennsylvania, so probably a five, six-hour drive. I would be at the border. Um, oh, but... gotcha. Okay. <laughs> so that's awesome. I'm yeah, not thank lie. you. I mean, and yeah, it's, uh, you know, when I first got to Canada, my my first winter was like, a, yeah, it blew my mind because I just was. I had not experienced something like that. And then, it, you know, after about one or two weeks, I was like, oh, that was a brutal winter. Okay, so is, is spring coming now or what? And they're like, no, <laughs> no, man. We do this for like another six months, my man. <laughs> like, oh. like, so, yeah. So it's, and again, I, I love Canada. It's an amazing place. And it's been a wonderful place to sort of um, grow into it in sort of adulthood and, uh, and live. Uh, but it's cold. It's definitely cold. Yeah, we just had our first snow um, today, actually. Really? And PA, so yeah, um, it was surprising. I was like, yesterday it was like 55 degrees or something, and then today it's snowing. It's just how Pennsylvania is. We experience four seasons in like a day sometimes. That's just how it is. Sounds like Alabama too, uh, except we have except we have tornadoes. <laughs> <laughs> except what, 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 you have tornadoes, you said? Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, so so we get we get. Uh, We'll have 80 degree weather, rain, thunderstorm, tornado, snow, sleet, <laughs> and then the next day it's oh, wow. gorgeous and 70. It's it's the weirdest thing. I'm starting to not feel so bad about the snow nine months of the year. Now. Yeah, don't. No tornadoes here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't feel bad. Like, you can have Thanks. snow. You can have snow tornadoes. How about that? <laughs> oh my gosh. Um. Well, cool. Well, uh. So yeah, so so tell us a little bit about so um so I kind of want to go back to a little bit that I covered in your kind of intro. So tell me a little bit about uh the I guess the jobs you held prior to writing. So I see you were a bartender, and then you started getting into cinematography, met some con men apparently. <laughs> so tell me tell me a little bit about yeah, that. Yeah, I want to know more about the con men and the and the. Uh, oh, yeah, all those people. The UK mobsters would be great. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Okay, uh, yeah. So um, after university, the original plan was to try and become a lawyer, but then during my last year's university, I was like, I don't think that's really for me. Uh, I interned at a uh, at a commercial production company, music video commercial production company. Fell in love with doing that job. Uh, I think that I've always kind of tried to push my way toward telling stories. That's been a big goal. I acted in high school. I was like a uh, you know, like a union actor. Um, I got my little union card. Um, and so I've always tried to find my way toward telling stories. And although writing was the place where I, again, always been the strongest, I, I don't know. I just, I, I guess I just didn't think that that was a realistic or reasonable path that one could ever take to, to a job. So interned at the production company for music videos and commercials, um, became a camera assistant, worked my way up through camera. I started to direct and then uh, also uh, uh, DP, director of photography, basically cinematographer. I started to direct and shoot my own music videos, and I, I did that for uh, almost uh, almost two decades. Um, so that's the majority of my adult life was sort of working in film and working on sets and uh, sort of telling stories in that either thirty second kind of uh, you know time frame or that three and a half minute time frame for music videos. Um, so 
the ultimate goal for me was really to get to the place where I could, you know, be a director of movies or something. Um, but then also that felt kind of, uh, one of my best friends told me something, um, he's actually a lawyer. One of my best friends told me something that I think really sort of stuck with me. He said, imagine the job that the person who is the, is the height of your industry does. Picture their day, picture their lives, and then ask yourself if you want that life. And at the time, when I was sort of really trying to figure out if I wanted to become a film director, if that was even possible, Peter Jackson was doing the Lord of the Rings movies. And they were awesome films, and they were so exciting. And I watched them behind the scenes. And I saw that Peter Jackson uh, had to, you know, live off a base camp somewhere in the wilderness for, for months and months. He, his, his, his set days were like, you know, 12, 15, 18-hour days for months and months and months. Um, I watched the man lose weight like crazy because he was on set all the time or something. I don't know. And it just seemed like, it just seemed really difficult. And then I also read a story, uh, you know, in probably Variety or something about Steven Spielberg sort of trying to raise money for his next film and having a hard time. And I was like, it's Steven Spielberg. And he's having a hard time raising money for his next film. And I, I guess I kind of fell out of love with the idea of telling stories in that format because so much of the job seems so grueling. Um, nice. you know, and so I kind of, put, I kind of backed off of that idea and, uh, but I was still doing music videos and having, having a good time doing it. Um, I got a, and then I got a job with a, with a big infrastructure company. Um, and they make things like, like subway lines and skyscrapers and hospitals. And I was their creative director for about uh, almost a year and a half. And then when that ended, uh, it was time to look for another job. And I thought to myself, do I go back to music videos? But I, but I, but music videos aren't the first love. It was the goal of becoming a film director and telling stories that way. So do I go back to music videos? Do I try and find another corporate job because those are more stable? And uh, you know, and, and the money in corporate sort of work is, is good. And I thought to myself, well, I should look for another job, but I, I also really feel like there's something on my bucket list. There's something I really need to do before I get that next job and move on with my life and because I was fortunate enough to have this opportunity to maybe take a break from work for a little bit, I said, this is the, this may be the last chance I ever get to do this. So I'm going to take some time, not look for that next job right away, and I'm going to write an epic fantasy book. And I'm not sure that I can recommend this approach to anybody, especially if bills are looming, but it was what I did. I, I sat down and I, I, I wrote an entire book. Wow. <laughs> and there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That's how you get to become a writer. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh man! So, uh, so tell me, tell me just a little bit more, I guess, about your cinematography. So, you said you did music videos, stuff like that. Uh, did you do any other kind of, um, I guess, filming? Uh, of course, did you do anything in, I don't know, like in groceries or uh, marketing or anything like that? Yeah, I mean. Um one of the things we, when I was the camera assistant, we shot uh, commercials a lot. And um, uh, I guess uh, one quick story I'll tell you is that, uh, speaking of snow and cold in Canada, we shot a commercial in Canada. It was for a car commercial. I won't tell you the brand of the car, and you'll know why in a second. It was a big, strong kind of car that's supposed to be able to handle any kind of condition. We were outside in the freezing cold all day, tons of snow everywhere. And there was a point, the point in having all the snow was that this big, strong car was supposed to be able to plow through a driveway filled with snow to get out onto the road. And they had to do it over and over and over again because the big, massive, strong car 
again, can't tell you the name of it, could not get through the snow. Uh, and so, I mean, I wish I could show you the commercial because in the end, it looks beautiful. The car plows through the snow when it's going and, you know, makes it onto the road perfectly. And it's because they had to, like, dig out half the snow and make it super <laughs> easy for this big, strong car to be able to do it. But it just could not make it otherwise. You get this camera angle like to where it looks like it's going through feet and feet of snow and what they've actually done yes. is dug out the other side of the wall. <laughs> You're exactly right. And I, I, when I saw the commercial on TV, I was like, that looks beautiful. And this car could not do it to save its life. Like, it had to, there were probably <laughs> PA, PAs production there were probably PAs pushing it from the back to just help it get out. I'm sure. And, and, I, and I'm and I'm sure you look like the cinematographer in Game of Thrones like filming the wall, you know, and then uh, you just have this just giant SUV just plowing through and you're like, yeah, I did that. And on the other <laughs> end of it, you're just like, guys, I can't say this, but it never made it through that. <laughs> no, did not make it through. No. Okay. So um, Evan, what got you started writing? Like who, were there authors that influenced you um, that kind of impact how you write or um, yeah. Yeah. I think, um, that's a tough one. You know what? Influences are always really, really difficult for me. I mean, obviously, I, there's probably no way I could say that George R. R. Martin is not influenced, at least my understanding of what fantasy either is or can be. Uh, I think that, you know, just the way he told, he, he's telling the story uh, that takes place in the, in the Song of Ice and Fire it just broadened what I at least knew fantasy uh, could contain and could sort of be about uh, and sort of the themes it could tackle. So, yeah, that I don't think that that's an influence in that way because it's sort of really, every so often you come across a book that just sort of makes you just sort of go, whoa, what the heck is happening here? And that opens your eyes to a new way of thinking about the genre. So definitely George R. R. Martin. I think that um, Guy Gabriel Kay also definitely did that for me. Um, um, if you've never, if, for anybody who's listening who's never read Guy Gabriel Kay, you should 100% pick up some of his books. Uh, the Lions of Al-Rasan, uh, Tigana, um, A Song for Our Bond. They're brilliant works. They're masterworks, really, um, that take place in worlds that are not overly fantastical, but still are fantasy worlds. And the stories that he tells and the way he tells them is, you know, it's, it's just outstanding. So, yeah, I think also when I was growing up, I read a lot of Anne McCaffrey, um, you know, the, all the all the way I'm going to mispronounce it, all the ways of turns for the, the books with the with the, uh, the dragons and, and stuff, and it was kind of like on a, not even on Earth or a medieval Earth or something, but a secondary world, and mm-hmm. uh, really enjoyed those books. And those were one of my sort of first sort of intros to fantasy, and, and they also I think had an impact on the way I I think about fantasy and and, and that sort of thing. So yeah. So would you say you had a favorite author growing up? Did I have a favorite author growing up? That's, um, again, I was, I grew up in Zambia. So when I was really young, uh, some of the books that I read and loved were the William books by Richmond Prompton. And they're not fantasy, but they're just a book about a young little boy, a young boy. Uh, and he, it sort of takes place right before world war one and then into world war one. And it's just about the life of this kind of like troublesome, scampish little, little dude. And they were just, they're, they're funny. They're, uh, awesome they're about just the adventures of childhood and i've got my son reading them now as well he's really enjoying them even though they were written like 80 years ago uh but they're just they're just solid pieces of storytelling so you know i really like those when i was quite young roll doll and i introduced my son to those and he's black who through all of roll doll 
And I love Real Gothers' imagination and types of stories. Like he was my favorite author for the longest time. I think I decided I wanted to be an author when I first started reading Roald Dahl. I think, you know, if I talked to Mr. Fox, the BFG, the Twit, the Witches, um, loved him. And then as I got older, um, you know, I found um, Wheel of Time. I found David Gemmel. I found, um, what else did I, was I sort of blasting through? Uh, you know, and so all that sort of stuff really influenced, again, what I thought of the genre and the, uh, and my joy for it, because these were stories that took me to an entirely different place, like a whole new world. Now I'm saying that, like I'm singing the Aladdin song, but it took me to a whole new world. And yeah, I just, I could get absorbed in that place completely. And time meant nothing. Like I would just sit there and read and read and read and enjoy the characters and the plot and the adversity. So yeah. That's awesome. Um, I actually wish I would have had that classic fantasy exposed to me when I was younger because um, my first like real, I would say quote unquote epic fantasy was the inheritance cycle by Christopher Paulini. Yeah. Cool. Um, and that's one of my favorites to this day. Um, and that definitely has a lot of the classic fantasy tropes. Um, a lot of people would say that that's one of the best entries into fantasy um, mm-hmm. because it has a lot of the things that you would typically expect from modern fantasy wall at the same time, having a lot of the tropes from a uh, classic. So I kind of wish I would have been able to, to, to read Gemmel and even Tolkien. I haven't even ashamedly uh, not read Lord of the Rings <laughs> yet. Um, shame. Um, I know, I know, shame me, shame me. You know what, I, I was gonna stay quiet, but I have a deep love secret too. I've never read Lord of the Rings. <laughs> shame. <laughs> <laughs> no. I've I, seen the movies. I oh my gosh. gosh! Oh gosh! Don't you dare! The movie was better. Don't you dare! Okay. <laughs> so you're gonna you're gonna cut that, right, guys? Right? Oh no! It's sad. The movies are my favorite trilogy of all time. They're incredible, and I really am, I'm dedicated to reading the books this year because I have to. Like I just I just have to. It's you gotta add the Hobbit in there too. Just, gotta just gotta get my street cred up. My blogging yeah. cred up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Don't forget to send the Rillian, too. I guess you'll have to hop into that as well. Oh, oh my gosh. gosh. I try. Yeah. Oh, just like read all of it. Just read all of Tolkien, <laughs> and then you're good. <laughs> oh, geez. Um, <laughs> but yeah, getting into the books and stuff, um, we have you on here in part because you've been such a huge success recently. Um, we talked about how you got the stabby with. Um, your debut, The Rage Rage of Dragons. Um, so um, could you tell the listeners kind of a little bit about that? Um, what can we expect or what can someone that hasn't read it expect from that? Um, yeah. Yeah, no worries. And I'm going to uh, cheat a little bit and I'm going to use Orbit's uh, kind of marketing material there and say Rage of Dragons is Game of Thrones meets Gladiator. Oh. And... It, it's really sort of more in the gladiator side. Like if I say, you know, you're reading a story that's fantasy version of gladiator, and then you read Rage of Dragons, you'll be like, yeah. If I say you're reading Game of Thrones, uh, that's some, a book that's like Game of Thrones, and you read the Rage of Dragons, you'll be like, no, not really. <laughs> but I think the, the sort of the blend, that sort of cross does kind of work, because um, although we see the Rage of Dragons primarily through the perspective of one character, and that's Tau, um, the main the protagonist, 
Um, and so that's, in that way, it's kind of more similar to Gladiator. But we still do have some of the political machinations and maneuverings that you do see in um, Game of Thrones. The difference is that we see all of that stuff sort of third hand because Tao in The Rage of Dragons is not a, is not a person of power or means. Um, he's sort of the lowest of the low in sort of his society. So as he gets deeper into the society, he sees all these things happening, all the, sort of the, the politics and the power plays. But he can't ever truly, he's not taking part in them actively in book one because he's too far removed from them. Yeah. So yeah, Game of Thrones meets Gladiator. Awesome. Yeah, and I mean, without getting into spoilers, um, I've said, I've reviewed your book and I love it. And uh, Tao was one of my favorite parts of it. Um, he's probably my favorite part of it because he is so incredibly compelling and in how he is so single-minded um, and his motivation in the book and um, without getting into spoilers with the synopsis, it talks about how he's going after revenge basically um, and how he just, he just goes after it and there's nothing that's going to stop him. Um, and it was just so single-minded that it was just incredibly fascinating to look. And I was wondering how you kind of came up with that. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I think that, Basically, for my whole life, I've been, um, I've been, uh, hey, you guys there? Yeah. Yeah, sorry, yeah. My, ear, my earphones died, but so I'll just start over. So yeah, um, I've been sort of obsessed with obsession for years and years and years. It's always interested me, the type of people who can get to, the, to be the very best at something where many people also enjoy the activity or enjoy doing what enjoy doing something. So they're all, there's a large group of people trying to become good at something. So for example, the absolute best players in the NBA, well, only five players get to sort of be the starters per side in NBA. And almost everybody in America um, can pick up a basketball and go outside and play basketball. Right? So the people who become the absolute best at that, there's a level of obsession that has to come, that has to come into play. Um, same with Olympians, um, same with, uh, you know, uh, even musicians, uh, you know, sort of a, a Jimi Hendrix type person or a Slash or, or whoever. Um, when I was doing music videos, one of the things that sort of surprised me but was, was about sort of the entertainers, the hip-hop artists I worked with or the, um, you know, the, sort of the rock artists. These are like world-class entertainers who people would think are like the coolest people on earth. The thing that surprised me about a lot of them is that when you get to meet them, sit down, talk with them, they're actually nerds, like in the very best of way. They're total nerds because their whole lives basically have been directed towards perfecting one thing, and that's being a musician, that's being an artist, that's being an entertainer. And that obsession uh, has made them incredibly, incredibly gifted, incredibly good in that one area, but it's also left gaps in other parts of their lives. And so some of the things that we take for granted in the way that we socialize with one another or the things we know, th they might not because They've been so focused on, on getting so good at this one thing. And again, that's really a fascinating idea to me, how far human beings can push themselves and how far they can go when they don't let anything distract them. Yeah. But also, it's interesting to figure out what that does to a person and what you lose when you're so single-minded. And so that's sort of the idea of, of Tao and, and sort of his passion and obsession. Yeah, that's incredible. And um is there any kind of psychological research that you did? I know that's 
obviously something you thought about a lot. Was there any other research or background that went into that as well? Yeah, so um, that's a that's a great question. And um, I read the book Peak, and I cannot remember the author's name, unfortunately, but it's about peak performance. It's about the sort of mentality, the attitude, and the type of training that you that one has to go through in order to become a peak performing athlete. Um, I took a look as I was writing The Rage of Dragons. I took a look and read through, I believe her name is Angela Duckworth, and the book is Grit. Uh, and, you know, so, yeah, I, I looked at those as examples. I looked at training regimens. Um, I've, I, I've taken uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu for about uh, 10 odd years now. So I've been in the sort of the martial arts scene for a long time. And before that, I did a couple of other martial arts. So, um, you know, I've seen, I've competed and I've seen people who compete at the highest of levels and the type of training they go through and the will that they need to have in order to mm. sort of, you know, especially to dig deep when you're losing a match or something, right? and, you know, and the, to dig deep when you're in training and you're tired or you're, you're not feeling 100% and what it means to still say, um, I will, no matter what, I will give, ne I will never give anything less than 100% and what it takes to become the kind of person who can have that attitude and hold it. So always fascinating yeah and i think a lot of people can um if not relate to at least really aspire to be tal in some ways because he is incredibly relentless is i think the best word i can think of um and yeah that's really inspiring so um as far as uh talking about the rage of dragons and its success has that allowed you to go full-time in writing then or do you have another job on the side or oh yeah um you know what? I, again, feeling very, very fortunate with regards to that because um, it, it's the it was it's all it's the dream really to be able to to go full time and to have this be the main or the only real job, and um, uh, I, I'm fortunate enough to have that be the case. Um, I'm contracted contracted pardon me for four books, and um, for the time that I'll be doing the four books, it, it, it seems that I can just do this and do nothing else and. My ultimate hope is that as I continue to go forward, if, if the readers will still have me and uh, if I, you know, if I can keep coming up with stories that I really feel that I need to tell, I would love, uh, like my dream would be to put out a book a year until, uh, you know, the day I shuffle off this mortal coil. Uh, yeah, I'd love to do that. And, and hopefully I can, I can stay doing, doing this as sort of my full-time gig. I would love that. It's, there's nothing better than sitting there for me and trying to tell the stories that are in my head when i when i wrote the rage of dragons like i, I didn't have a contract i was just writing it for me really and I, I wanted it to get out to readers but i was writing it for me and a part of doing that was because it was always on my bucket list i'd always thought to myself i'd love to be a writer uh, the first job i thought of when i was a kid when other kids were talking about being sort of you know police people or fire people i was like i want to be a writer people like i wanted to be or not an author and uh and so, you know, when I when I wrote The Rage of Dragons, a part of doing that, a part of that process was me trying to see if it was nothing more than just, a you know, an idea, a pleasant idea, or if it was something that I could really sort of stomach on a day-to-day -day level. And uh, I sat there, I did it. I'm not going to say it was easy every day. It wasn't. It was hard most days. But it was hard in the kind of way where I was like, I couldn't wait to wake up the next day and go back to that hardship because it was something that I felt was worth doing. Yeah, and you can tell um by your your work that you're passionate about it. that's incredible oh thank you so all right evan so uh so where'd you come up with the idea of the gifted individuals with the ability to call down dragons i feel like uh i've never seen that before obviously we've seen people 
quote unquote tame dragons or train dragons like in the movies. Uh, but where uh, where did you where did you kind of come up with this idea? Oh, um, as I was as the story was coming to me, it was really important for me to have it. It was really important for the magic to have a cost. And so without getting into spoilers, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> the, when I was developing the magic system, um, yeah, I wanted there to be sort of incredible, awesome things that they could do with the magic. I wanted its effects to be very sort of apparent and clear. But at the same time, I wanted the reader, I wanted us to understand why the magic can't be used all the time or cannot be used to, ch to change the course of you know, a massive, massive battle just in the sweep, you know, the sweep, of a, sweep of a hand or something. Mm -hmm. um, and so we can call, you know, the, the gifted can call down dragons because that way the dragons are not always available. And, and sort of the whole, the whole lore and mythos of the magic and the reason they can call dragons down and sort of the, the cost of that becomes, starts to become apparent in book one, but there's more that I hope and I really am excited to tell people about how, how that all works and, and what kind of effect that has on uh, the, you know, the people who have the ability to use magic and also on the societies that use magic. Yeah. And obviously everybody that's listening, this isn't a spoiler. It's in the synopsis. You can read about it. It's fine. <laughs> it's just, it's just opened up in the book. So you're good. Uh, and obviously, yeah. uh, and based on what I say, is it's just females that have that ability, correct? That's right. In the Omeki, the only people who are able to wield the um, magic are women. And then, of course, with that, you've got the men, where they have this uh, ability in combat to transform into a bigger, stronger, faster killing machine. Uh, so was that influenced maybe by anime, or was that something that just came to you or is that from movies or, you know, kind of how'd you, how'd you come up with that aspect? Um, you know what? I'm not exactly sure because it sort of all starts to melt together in my mind. The way the ideas start, where they end up finishing. I, I think like as it stands now, the, the people who can become, it's called getting enraged when you're enraged, it's sort of, uh, but you, you have to have a, a magic user sort of infuse you with power. And, and that it's called enraging. And that sort of makes the person, the target of that magical ability grow bigger, stronger, and faster, like you said. Um, and it's, it's the easiest way of imagining it would probably be sort of that Bruce Banner to Hulk transformation. Mm -hmm. And so I guess it on its, on its face, it seems as if that's where the idea comes from, but it's not really, I think that originally the, the idea was sort of a part of another story, another um, sort of epic fantasy that I was thinking of telling. Um, and it didn't work quite the same way, but the end result was sort of that same end result where you sort of have to, a, a soldier or fighter would basically become the equivalent of a Colossus. I gotcha. Well, awesome. Um, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. <laughs> that works out, that works out perfectly. <clears throat> All right. Well, since we're getting, um, back to kind of rage and, where you're going with it um when you were thinking about it what made you want to or was it just a necessity to self-pub or what was that a decision that you just made and then what was the decision process in getting you to traditional publishing ah that is a that is another really good question let's see okay so what happened was 
I was directing music videos and I had my own little small production company. Did that for, you know, almost two decades. Then got a, um, a job with a large infrastructure company as a creative director and was there for about a year and a half. And when that job ended, um, it, you know, I was time to look for another job. I could have maybe gone back to doing music videos, but I was thinking to myself, okay, uh, I did the corporate thing. Maybe I'll continue doing that. So I was going to look for the next contract. But I had a little time and uh, I was getting older and I thought to myself, this is probably the last chance in my life where I'll have this gap of time where I can actually sit down and do something that I've always, always wanted to do. And so I put off looking for that next job, which is not really that smart a thing to do. But I was <laughs> like, you know, this is my only chance. I, it'll ne- I'll never get this opportunity again, most likely. So yeah. I put off looking for that next, that next job. I sat down and I said to myself, I'm going to write an epic fantasy. Um, uh, so yeah, I sat down and, and, and did that. And my plan as I was doing it was always to self-publish because I knew I didn't have that much time. I wanted to, I wanted to get the book in the hands of readers. And, and I had read enough about publishing because I was always interested in it. I'd read enough about publishing to, to sort of have the sense that I would have, to go traditional, I would have needed to, uh, you know, write up a query letter. Uh, send, you know, query agents and try and get an agent. I'm going to, you know, that usually takes a, quite a bit of time if you're even lucky enough to get an agent who's interested in the work. And then the agent would have to sort of, um, send out a submission to the traditional publishers to try and get, uh, an editor to sort of bite on the project and say, well, maybe we, we'd like to publish this. And that whole process, again, if you're lucky and it all works out reasonably well, it's probably taking a year, two years, three, four years. And, um, you know, I'd read about Hugh Howie who wrote Wool, and, and, you know, I, I'd heard about, um, you know, even Andy Weir with The Martian, he started to publish, and I'd heard about all these people, and on our fantasy, I was seeing that there were self-published authors, you know, who were publishing through Amazon or any of the other online platforms, and they were having success. And to me, success was, I just want people to read this. Like, I just want to, I want to share this idea, this story that's in my head with, with people. Um, yeah. So, I wrote the book, I finished it, and then I did not query agents. I did not try to traditionally publish. Uh, I put, I published it on Amazon, and because I didn't really know what else to do, I told friends and family on Facebook, and I told our fantasy that I published this thing. Uh, and so that sort of got the ball rolling there. Yeah. I mean, I actually, for a while, had your book on Kindle. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. You're the original. You're like an OG. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, and I did have it, but I, n- I just never, for whatever reason, um, I actually read the prologue and I was really intrigued. The The prologue is one of the best I've ever re- re- read, but um, I was really intrigued. And then I think I just got distracted by something else, probably an author that I'd already read or something or something coming out. And I just never got back to it. Um and I think David um, W. is also a similar story where he had the Kindle version for a pretty long time. And then you got picked up by Orbit and it really got on both our radars. Dude, for forever. Like, I think when it first came out, I was like, this cover. I mean, it, there was nothing wrong with the cover. The cover for the original was fantastic when you indie bubbed it. And mm-hmm. uh, like I said, it was getting getting all this like kind of backing on it. It kind of felt like how um, Alaron Kong did with his lit RPG uh the land like there was just yeah. all this behind it that was like pushing it it's like you need to read this you need to read this it's all over amazon and facebook and da, da, da. And so it was like one of those that like i just picked up and then somehow it just slid and then 
like I said, when I saw it get picked up, I was like, okay, there's something really behind this, so I need to get on it. And then here we are. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. that, unfortunately, that's what has to happen sometimes, especially when we get caught up in in big five publishing being you know book bloggers. Unfortunately, some indies just get put to the wayside, and it's and, and nowadays that it's it's kind of like whoa why because a lot of indie publishing is just as good as traditional publishing, if not better in some, in some ways. I mean, like I said, ML Huang's uh, sort of Kaigen. I mean, obviously the rage of dragons prior to being picked up by orbit. I mean, that's why Mark Lawrence says that self that, uh, you know, the fantasy blog off every single year, because eventually people are going to start getting picked up by these big five. Cause they're like, Oh yeah, there's something actually in this indie publishing. Yeah. And I mean, I think that one of the, I think you're exactly right in everything you said. Um, and that a lot of the work that's coming out of the indie publishing uh, world is excellent. And it's just tough. I, and this is maybe why you put the book down, the, the books down that you sort of maybe grab up. The, the advantage of being indie published is that typically our prices are lower. Right. And because the prices are lower, there's less friction to picking up the book. Mm-hmm. So you might have gotten the, the original Ranger Dragons when it was on sale for 99 cents. Uh, or at two ninety nine, like that, and at that price point, if it's if the cover's pretty good and the synopsis is interesting to you and you've seen it a couple places, you go, I'll grab that. Right. But you know, you grab it so you can get it, so you don't miss out. So you don't want to feel like you're missing out. And that's the power, of sort of that price point in indie publishing. But then, because it's sort of um, like you said, it's because it's sort of not it's, it's not out there in the same way that traditional published books tend to be out there. Mm. They can be easier to just leave sitting on your Kindle uh, right. and not actually sort of reading them so that that's the next step that uh that's really hard for indie people for sort of indie writers to, to to push through is we can get the books onto people's devices you know or, or whatever and they'll have them but how do you make sure they then read them right um and it's all yeah. word of mouth so, that that's what, that's, the, that's what i've seen at least you know in my time looking at indie publishing because that's kind of how i started my my reviewing was with indie pubs because I was doing beta reads and alpha reads and gamer reads and <laughs> blurbin books and all kinds of stuff. And I was like, you know, they're, they're, I can see this picking up. And then when everything kind of got transitioned to traditional, I'm like, I've still read some indie publishing during this. And it's fantastic. Why? I think what it is, is there's a drive in traditional publishing that, you know, reviews, reviews, reviews. And there is with that with indie as well, but it's not like a I have to have it by a certain time. It's like, like you said, it's ninety nine cents, two ninety nine. Okay, I grabbed it. The author gets whatever amount of money from Amazon for me purchasing it. I'll get to it eventually. Other people will definitely read it, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that doesn't happen a lot. I mean, and it does for some authors that, especially in the romance side of it, because. I bought my wife a Kindle last year and uh, I've seen the books that she's read and they're, they take, you know, a couple hours to read because they're, you know, 250 pages. And it's like, it's the same story over and over and over again, yet they can't get enough of it. And then you've got these fantasy novels that some people are afraid to get to because they're 800 pages and it's a debut. And you're like, can it be that good? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's another really good point. Like, it's difficult to sort of commit that level of time. And that's the weird, that's sort of the weird point because, you know, you go, well, I can get it for $2.99, $3.99, so the, the, or $0.99. Cents. The price isn't really stopping me that much. Um, so I can grab that book if it looks interesting to me. Yeah. But then if it's five, six, seven hundred pages, 
I sort of say to myself, well, do I spend the time on that, or if I, you know, and if I buy a book for like nine ninety nine, forty ninety nine from a traditional publisher, it, it's that just seems like a safer. It seems like a safer investment on your time, mm-hmm. and it's not always the case. Definitely not, but it does often seem like that. So it's sort of that. that I'm not sure how that'll all shake out in the future and, and how it'll all work out, but it does sort of feel that way. And, and going to romance for a quick second, uh, romance writers are sort of my my heroes in, in the world of publishing because <laughs> they are the backbone that sort of keeps the whole thing afloat in terms of like just they're juggernaut. The amount of money that publishing makes on on the whole is majority romance money. Yeah, and. In the same way that we lead into our tropes in epic fantasy or, you know, sci-fi, they have their own tropes as well. But man, can they tell a good story that keeps their readers happy and captivated and keeps them coming back for more. And if I could learn from anybody, I'd probably try and ask a bunch of romance writers to help me learn how to really hone that craft of storytelling. They do it like almost nobody else can. It's amazing to watch. And, and they're also business people. Yeah. Like, because the in, in the indie world, learned how to be the indie world from romance writers who sort of forged that path. And it's just, yeah, they're business people and incredible craft people and storytellers. It's just, I'm, I'm in awe. Yeah. Wow. I mean, you know, cause they just, they had this formula that works just like a, you know, a good old Hallmark movie. You know, you've, you've got your small town with so-and-so comes on in and they're down on their luck, but there's this handsome dude that's got two kids and his wife passed away three years ago and you're just sucked in. And that's, that's just how romance books are. And I, I mean, I literally, like I have never seen my wife read as voraciously as she did last summer when, when I got her a Kindle. Really? I mean, she would literally, we would sit by the pool and she would just like go through them. And I'm going, is it really that good? She goes, I mean, it's like the same story, but there's like one thing that's different in every one. And they're just so good. And they go, really? You sure? <laughs> Cause like, I can't imagine that there's like a whole lot of depth to it. And maybe maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's just that it's a it's a pleasure to read. It's really easy to pick up and put down. It's really easy to finish in a short period of time. Whereas, you know, you get into fantasy and science fiction, and some of them you've got to have a lot of headspace to really dive deep and get what the author's you know bringing across. Um, and maybe that's yeah. another thing that's stopping some people. You know, like I said, we kind of go back to the the page count. Um, it's just you know if if I I'm like, okay, this this cover looks cool. They've got some good reviews. Then I go down, and it's like 850 pages, and it's the first book and the only book they got out. I'm going, I'll buy it, but mm, I don't have the time commitment. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Well, um, I mean, we as epic fantasy writers with our sort of like door stopping novels, we ask a lot of, of readers, especially if they don't know our name and they don't know the history of our work. Well, it's, it's a big ask. Yeah. Um, and you know, and, and again, even going back to, I'm gonna pull the romance stuff back into this, this discussion for a second. But like, even with the romance, like I feel like as a writer in the story that I'm telling, I'm doing very much the same thing. I know the tropes of my genre. I know that there's typically the chosen one and we start from a certain level, usually the underdog and we sort of power up in a way and we have to fight the way. I know the tropes because I read all that stuff and, and almost all of our books tend to have the same kind of tropes. And what we, I think what we all wanna do as readers and writers is take the parts that we love and then find ourselves in them and make them our own. And that's when it gets to be something special. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think, you know, it, sure, the, the vast majority of anything that gets made is going to not be amazing and it's going to not be horrible. It's going to be kind of in the middle. But in the same way that for every great and incredible epic fantasy book, there's going to be a great and incredible romance book 
that does that, that speaks to the human condition in a way that helps us understand relationships, each other, and, you know, in conflict, because narrative use is usually about conflict, in a way that we maybe haven't quite seen before. And so we're all doing the same job, and at its, at its very height, which is the hardest place to get to, you know, I, I, I would like to think that it, there's an attempt to tell some kind of truth. And again, it's, and I think it's earlier, it's, it's not objective truth. I, I don't even know if there is objective truth necessarily, but it's, but when the writer tries and searches for and, you know, sweats and bleeds whatever their truth is onto the page, mm-hmm. I, I have to believe that if they've done that as honestly as they can, that, it, that there's a good chance it's going to connect with somebody. And so yeah. when your wife's reading those books, I imagine that there's some piece of truth about the human condition, about the way she views the world in her life that's connecting with her and that's making her go back and back and back and seek out the works that are doing that. And that's the, so that's really what I hope that I'm able to do. And that's, that, at least that will be the, that'll be the challenge that I would like to set for myself and the goal that I would like to set for myself. And maybe I never achieve it, but that's where I would like to, to be is hopefully finding some level of truth uh, that I can, that I can put on the page and that hopefully connect. So Evan, I'm gleaming two things from you. Uh, your next book's going to be a fantasy or a, a romance book. And then uh, I need to be a small, <laughs> I need to be a small town doctor. So <laughs> you, know what? you know what? We'll take those tropes. We'll put a little twist on them and we'll see, we'll see what we can do. <laughs> there you go. Why, why don't you just make a fantasy romance novel now that you're this, this big shot and then we'll see if it sells. <laughs> and if it does, you have a whole new thing that people are going to start flocking to. <laughs> well, I think, I think the tropes thing is, is, legitimate even in fantasy um because i know i'm a sucker for an underdog personally right? i love that yeah. trip which is part of why i guess i love rage of dragons um but also i like i love mistborn um underdog mm-hmm. um i'm looking over at my favorite shelf trying to <laughs> <laughs> yep. I mean, red rising is another yep. one that's kind of like that um even really like people that are naturally gifted like in name of the wind but they yeah. still have all these things that are thrown at them that just yeah. make yeah. them an underdog yeah. because of the circumstances of their life. I am a sucker for that. Yeah. And you I will go back to that money, like- time and time again. I will go back to that, and I love it every single time. Yeah, I think that we all, like, there's something, again, it's about that human condition, condition. there's something so um, interesting and captivating about that. You love to see someone become more than they seem to be mm-hmm. meant to be, right? Like there's something so powerful about that. Yeah. And, and all those books you just listed, I love to, all of them. And uh, and I think for the same reason, like I love to see that, that sort of protagonist go on that journey to find out just how far they can go in a world that tries to prevent them from being all that they can be. Mm-hmm. So. Exactly. So Evan, so we've talked about the Rage of Dragons. Uh, we've talked about Orbit Publishing and how amazing they are. Uh, I'm sure you could recommend all day the Orbit authors that you kind of debuted with last year. But is there anybody in particular that you are reading right now or could recommend to the audience? You know what? It is, I'll, I'll be completely honest with you. It is so hard. It's been really hard for me to find time to read. And that sounds kind of ridiculous, but it's just with the pressure of sort of the deadlines uh, to write book uh, book two – it, I've when I'm done my day of writing, it's been difficult to sit down and, and read. And so, um, sort of in this debut year, I've read the the least that I have in years. But that said, um, I read and thoroughly enjoyed Jade War. I read and thoroughly enjoyed oh Jade War by Fonda Lee, I should say, um, The Wolf of Oran Yarrow by K. S. Veloso. Um, 
I read Red Country by Joe Abercrombie, but I, you know, which is a standalone, but still probably you'd benefit from reading the first Lost series and some of the other standalones first. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite standalones uh, by him, and one of my favorite books by Joe Abercrombie, is actually called The Heroes, and that's uh, it's excellent. So, it, it, you know, if someone's read the first Lost series and is looking for and is on the fence with the standalones, definitely give The Heroes a shot. If you've read no Joe Abercrombie, you can still give The Heroes a shot. It's worth it. Um, so yeah, I think those are some of the books that I've actually uh, had the time to read, and I'm fortunate enough to be in a position where I get arcs now, like advanced reader copies. So there's, you know, there's books that I'm uh, really excited to sort of get into and read as well, but uh, you know, haven't had the chance to quite finish yet. So looking forward to doing that and, and enjoying the fact that I can read books before they're even officially out. Welcome to the club. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, now, let me know. Have you gotten uh, Have you gotten Devin Madsen's uh, book yet? I know. I think Mark you, Lawrence got a copy. You, yep. You, uh, you know it. I have indeed. I have indeed. Oh man. See, see, I, I, I knew her when she started off like you know self published, and uh, I think right around the time she released the second book in that series is like right when she got snatched up by Orbit, and so she's been like hush hush about everything for like over a year now. Uh, and I know she's like super excited about, and I know, I don't think Mark was actually supposed to post the, the picture of his art the other day. Cause they haven't released the cover art yet. But, oh no. Oh my gosh. The cover no. art looks so gorgeous. Uh, oh. well, I, I almost made a gaffe today. Uh, Anthony Ryan sent out a newsletter today with the uh, cover of his upcoming sequel to uh, the wolf's call. And, uh, and I, I posted it on Twitter and Patrick Leo was like, dude, you can't do that. You need to check with him. And so I went to Anthony and I was like, Hey, are you cool that I, I shared this? And he goes, dude, absolutely. I was like, oh gosh, thank you. I got worried uh, that like I was gonna have you know like Ace come down on me like you can never do this again. <laughs> right. So. It, it's tricky because what happens is you start <laughs> to get you know you get you get stuff that's so far ahead of the time and you kind of forget what the actual timeline for is supposed to be. Right. And so yeah, it, it does get tricky, and you're kind of always and that's the weird thing about publishing, right? It sort of works. It sort of works like half a year ahead, kind of in a weird way. Yeah. So you see stuff half a year ahead of when it's actually going to come out. And then, you know, yeah, it's sort of hard to sort of adjust. I mean, I mean, at least it's hard for me. I'm trying to adjust my mind to that. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, no, it's one of those things where like, I feel if you wait for the publisher to post it, you're good. Or if you yeah. get lucky enough to do a cover reveal, which I think we may have some up for some indies, you know, later this That's year. Awesome. But, um, you know, if you wait for them to like say something, you're good. But like, I just like I just went with it today. I was like, all right, he put it out there. I'm good. But I mean, you know, it's it's one of those things where like I just get excited. Like if if I get an arc and I haven't seen the cover before, which I feel like most of the ones I've gotten, I've seen them before and I've posted them around. But like if I get one, I'm like so excited to post it because like I'm like there's so many people that don't know about this yet, and I need I need everybody to know because they're gonna want to buy this. But yeah, you gotta you gotta get some kind of timeline. <laughs> I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, your book recommendations are Orbit, so you're Orbit through and through now, Evan. I don't know. If you know, you do that, yeah. But... <laughs> you know what's weird? They didn't even like you say that, and I, I now that you say it, I realize they are like Joe Abercrombie, yeah, um, you know, Fonda Lee. And part of it's because <clears throat> um, those are easily available to me now, right? But another part of it is like. Like I read Joe Abercrombie before I was with Orbit. Like I, I burned through his entire his entire catalog except for Red, Red uh, Country uh, mm-hmm. before I was with Orbit. And I guess, you know, uh, I just tend to 
I just tend to read the. I, I read. I picked up The Witcher. Uh, you know what I mean? I watched yeah. The Expanse. Like right. it's just their stuff is the stuff that I kind of like and gel with. Yeah. And it's it's fantasy and it's science fiction. That's kind of really. It's it's not looking backward at sort of um, the golden age of the stuff. It's kind of like really pushing forward in a way. Yeah. And I guess I'm enjoying that. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's what you dig, and I mean. It's few and far between that they release something that I don't quite jive with. But I mean, I can't tell you how many books I've actually just been like, you know what? No, and moved on to something else. I mean, every single book I feel like I've been fairly immer- fully immersed with. Like right now, I'm finishing up The Shadow State by Gareth Hanrahan. I don't know if you've read The Gutter Prayer yet, but I highly you recommend know what? you do it. To my, to my shame, I have not, and I've heard nothing but amazing things about it. It's so good. I mean, for a guy who writes RPGs for a living and then writes this amazing world, it's, it's just incredible. You got to experience for yourself. But cool. But yeah, I mean, I'm kind of orbit through and through now too. I mean, they like I said, they, <laughs> they've, just, they've just been so good. They've been so good to me, and, and the authors have produced such great works. So it's kind of like where else would I go? Now I still, you know, obviously enjoy a thriller every now and then. I, I'll, I'll read some horror and so forth, and and I, you know, still got you know, Lawrence's and Ryan's books through Ace and so forth, but Orbit's kind of where it's at. So, um, all right. So I know it's super early. We have a date for book two, but can you tell us anything without spoiling anything or without Orbit getting mad about book two? <laughs> okay. Yeah, no worries. So the, at the very end of book two, what happens now? Okay. But, <laughs> but uh, in terms of book two, since I first began the outline, I'm, I'm a heavy outliner. Since I first began the outline for this whole series, there were a couple of key moments that stuck in my head and I could see them so clearly. And several of those moments are in book two. And I am very excited for people to read them. They're the types <laughs> of things that I would have salivated over if, if I were a reader. Uh, and, and I hope other people feel the same way because some of the scenes when they, like just some of these moments um, are the things that I, I don't know, I just would have been like, this is awesome. And I have no other judge but the way I feel, obviously, but I was excited to sit down and actually write those. Um, and I'm really excited to see, to have other people experience them and hopefully, hopefully enjoy them um, as well. So, yeah. I mean, coming from two guys who love the Rage of Dragons, obviously we're <laughs> super excited about book two. And we- I'll be pre-ordering it. One hundred percent. You're gonna. I appreciate that very, very much. <laughs> yeah, I think you were cutting out a little bit there, so that's why. I was, that's why I was a little confused. <laughs> um. But yeah. And uh, do we do we have an official release date for for book two, Evan? You know what? Um, I have been head down str- and like battling to get everything sort of finished, so I haven't even been paying too much attention to the currently posted release date. I believe, if I'm not mistaken. It is July 14th of this year. Um, I'm pretty sure that is that is that day. Yes, um, you are correct. Is that correct? Up on okay, Amazon, thank July you. 14th, yeah. yep. <laughs> and the funny thing is you'd think I would know that day cold, right? But I'm just sitting here going, I got to get these final little pieces of the edits done. Uh, the book is written front to back. It's all – I can't say it's done and dusted, but it's all written. It's all there. Uh, we're going through final final passes and edits, and um, you know, and I just need to sort of – uh, tighten some of the language so that the you know so that the little moments are exactly how I see them in my head. I'm still just sort of doing a little bit of that, but we're so close, and uh, and I'm excited for this summer because 
it'll be a chance for other people to experience the story too. And of course, also nervous because the worst thing in the world would be for people not to, to love it as much as I do. Um, so you just hope that you hope that the work you've done, you hope that the feelings that you get when, when you read it, uh, translates. And, uh, and again, uh, some of the, some of the moments are just things that have been with me from the very, very beginning. And, uh, I, I just can't wait to find out what the reaction for other people is. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and you know, when I was making my anticipated 2020 list, I don't even think there was a blurb. Amazon's actually got a blurb for book two now. So I'm not going to spoil it for anybody because everybody needs to go out and, and read it and pre-order it. But there is a blurb on Amazon if you want to find out what it's about, or at least a little bit about what it's about. <laughs> so. um, but Evan, you know, I know <laughs> we had some technical difficulties early on, but I just want to say thank you so much for coming on. Um, I mean, obviously this has only been a month in the making as far as the podcast goes, but it's been – almost a year in the making wanting to have you on at least to chat in, in some way or form uh, to chat with you more about the book, about yourself, about kind of your background, how you got into writing uh, and so forth. And I know David Schaefer can say the same thing. I mean, we've, we've been kind of, kind of giggling at each other or on Twitter the past few days, kind of in, in anticipation of this. So, um, you know, we're just super excited to have you on. We loved the rage dragons. We're so excited <laughs> for you. Uh, went in the stabby um, and just with all the success you've had with it. And the, we wish you continued success with the series. Um, but everybody okay. that's listening, uh, you can find Evan at Twitter uh, or on Twitter at Evan winter. You can find him on Instagram uh, at Evan M winter. Uh, he's also on uh, Facebook. You can find him at EOM winter. Uh, and then you, you can also find him at EvanWinter.com. Uh, anything else you want to cover, Evan? Or you you, you feel like we're, we've done a pretty good job? You guys have done an amazing job. Uh, I want to thank you both for having me on again. And uh, one thing I would like to say very much is, uh, yeah, it, it, the podcast, is, I guess, has been going for about a month, like you say. But yeah. the, the list of authors that you've had on um, and that you are having on uh, looks incredible. I'm just really happy to be a part of that in any way. And uh, thank you for helping to be a part of my 2020 and making it continue to be awesome. I really appreciate that, guys. Thank you both. Yeah, man, absolutely. Uh, and uh, it, like I said, thanks again. Uh, we'll definitely need to do this again. You know, maybe post book two coming out, maybe in anticipation for book three. Um, and you know, obviously, we'll stay in touch uh, during social media. We'll we'll be looking for book two. Hopefully, maybe we can get some arcs out and get some early reviews for you and for mm -hmm. that. Um, but otherwise, again, thank you so much for coming on and let's talk soon. Definitely. Thank you both. All right. Have a good one. Have a good one. For those of you who haven't had the opportunity to read The Rage of Dragons, stay tuned for a clip from the audiobook presented by the Hashtag Audio and reviewed by Prentice Onayemi. I hope you enjoy it. Landfall. Queen Tefa stood at the bow of Targon, her beached warship, and looked out at the massacre on the sands. Her other ships were empty. The fighting men and women of the Chosen were already on shore, were already killing and dying. Their screams, not so different from the cries of those they fought, washed over her in waves. She looked to the sun. It burned high overhead, and the killing would not stop until well past nightfall, which meant too many more would die. She heard footsteps on the deck behind her and tried to take comfort in the sounds of Siori's gate. My queen, he said. Tefa nodded, permitting him to speak, 
but did not turn away from the slaughter on the shore. If this was to be the end of her people, she would bear witness. She could do that much. We cannot hold the beach, he told her. We have to retreat to the ships. We have to relaunch them. No, I won't go back on the water. The rest of the fleet will be here soon. Families, children, the old and infirm, not fighters, not gifted. Tefa hadn't turned. She couldn't face him, not yet. It's beautiful here, she told him. Hotter than Osonte, but beautiful. Look, she pointed to the mountains in the distance. We landed on a peninsula, bordered and bisected by mountains. It's defensible, arable. We could make a home here, couldn't we? A home for my people. She faced him. His presence comforted her. Champion Siori, so strong and loyal. He made her feel safe, loved. She wished she could do the same for him. His brows were knitted and sweat beaded on his shaved head. He had been near the front lines, fighting. She hated that. But he was her champion, and she could not ask him to stay with her on a beached ship while her people, his soldiers, died. He shifted and made to speak. She didn't want to hear it. No more reports, no more talk of the strange gifts these savages wielded against her kind. The Malawa arrived a few sunspans ago, she told him. My old nursemaid was on board. She went to the goddess before it made ground. Sanura's gone, my queen, I'm so. Do you remember how she'd tell the story of the dog that bit me when I was a child? I remember hearing you bit it back and wouldn't let go. Sanura had to call the queen's guard to pull you off the poor thing. Tefa turned back to the beach, filled with the dead and dying in their thousands. Sanura went to the goddess on that ship, never knowing we found land never knowing we escaped the call. They couldn't even burn her properly. The battle seemed louder. I won't go back on the water. Then we die on this beach. The moment had arrived. She wished she had the courage to face him for it. The gifted, the ones with the forward scouts, sent word. They found the rage. Tefa pointed to the horizon, past the slaughter, stealing herself. They are nested in the central mountains, the ones dividing the peninsula, and one of the dragons has just given birth. There is a youngling, and I will form a coterie. No, he said, not this, Tefa. She could hear his desperation. She would not let it sway her. The savages. How can we make peace if we do this to them, Siori said. But the argument wasn't enough to change her mind, and he must have sensed that. We were only to follow them, he said. If we use the dragons, we'll destroy this land. If we use the dragons, the coal will find us. That sent a chill through her. I hope you guys enjoyed mine and David Schaefer's chat with Evan Winter. I know we definitely did. Uh, stay tuned for upcoming episodes, including one dropping on Sunday with author CJ Tudor. Uh, we'll be talking a little bit about her upcoming release, The Other People. Also, next week, I'll be chatting with Josiah Bancroft, the author of the Books of Babel series. 
Uh, following on the 21st, I'll be talking to Mike Chen about his new novel, uh, A Beginning at the End. Uh, and then wrapping up January, I'll be talking to audiobook narrator Mark Thompson. You'll probably know him best uh, from his Star Wars audiobooks. But guys, just uh, hope you continue enjoying these episodes, and we'll be back this weekend. Thanks.